everyone, I'm Becky. And this is Claire. And welcome to another episode of Podway. Yay! So in this podcast, we always discuss things related to musical theaters and plays. And today's, it's a happy episode for me because we're doing my favorite musical, Les Mis or Les Misabres, depending how you want to say it. Yes, so... I'll give a brief synopsis and then we'll get right into the meat of things and find out why this is a very happy episode for Claire, um, more in depth. But the musical is an adaptation of the Victor Hugo novel set in post-revolution France. The musical follows the story of a convicted criminal, Jean Valjean, and he is freed from prison on parole, promptly breaking said parole, and the characters he runs into while attempting to live his life escaping from his prison guard, Javert. As I mentioned before, the musical is an adaptation of Victor Hugo's novel by the same name. And this is actually our second Victor Hugo adaptation after The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very exciting. And coincidentally, it's also our second Schoenberg and Bublil musical, who are the creator of the musical after Miss Saigon. So double trouble in this case. <laughs> So the musical began its life in France and in French as a language uh, in general and premiered in Paris in 1980. Then in 1985, it opened in London under an English adaptation, obviously, where it originally, interestingly enough, I did not expect that whatsoever, received very poor critical reviews. It had a lot of scholars kind of very upset about the existence of a musical after such a great novel as Le Mis. So people were very much up in arms, but the public didn't care. It was very, very successful and popular with the public. And because of that popularity, the reviews improve. How do you say if you can beat them, join them? That's exactly what happened there. So (laughs) Le Mis is the longest running musical in the West End and the second longest running musical in the entire world. It received its Broadway premiere in 1987, where it ran until 2003. And it is now, I believe, the sixth longest running Broadway musical ever. And when it finished its run in 2003, it was the second longest running Broadway musical at the times. Needless to say, you can see just based on these stats, it was an absolute sensation. It was nominated for 12 Tonys and it won eight of them. Interestingly enough, it was nominated only for four Laurence Olivier Award, which are like the British Tonys, and it only won one of them. The musical achieved pretty much global success, not just in English speaking places. It had uh, performances in over 42 countries and it got translated into 21 languages which is massive 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 so yeah this is pretty much a big one and we've been holding it back and why have we been holding it back Claire what is your experience like with Lemiz? I don't really know why we hold it back to be honest I don't <laughs> feel like there was a particular reason why we just choose not to do it I feel like part of the reason could be that we want to experiment with more of the niche musicals or things that are smaller you know if we're just talking about like Lion King every single week that could be probably a little bit boring for people who already are familiar with it so maybe that's why I don't know I don't really feel like we ever talk about it that much (laughs) I think there was an unspoken agreement where we both held back our favorites right right yeah yeah. I don't know (laughs) and there's honestly no particular reason why we're doing this now it's not like oh it's like my birthday or anything uh yeah we're just doing it because we feel like it so (laughs) there you go um no reason no reason exactly no reason it just comes to be 
And in terms of with my own personal experience with the musical, I first came to know about the story when I was reading the book when I was like 12 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And as you can probably imagine, it's a very difficult book for a 12 years old to read and understand especially I was reading a translated version I don't feel like anyone can read like the original text anyways (laughs) not me um so I was reading in Mandarin and I go like what the fuck this is so long and there's like so many things happening but nonetheless it was an interesting story and I feel like I probably read like a children version uh, Mm. of it so it wasn't too bad but it was still really long regardless anyway so long story short I read the book I sort of like forgot about it and then if you remember at some point during my probably pre-teen years Susan Boyle came to be yes and <laughs> her song like I dream a dream was like massive it was like everywhere and my dad was so obsessed with the song so for the contacts <laughs> I only go back to live with my parents in my parents house like on the weekend and every single Sunday, I swear to you, I will wake up to Susan's boiled voice with this goddamn song. Like, I, I love the song. But like, when you listen to it for like a couple months straight, and every single week is the same song over and over again, it can be pretty overwhelming. So I got to know about the song because my dad was really obsessed with it. And he would literally just set us down every week and to like, tell us how great the song is and he will walk us through the lyrics and explain the English and the beauty of English and this lyrics and blah 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 and he just goes on and on and on and I didn't know like I mean obviously if you watch the video of Susan Boyle saying I dream of dream she said that it's from the musical right but I didn't really know that it was a musical for the Lemis at the time mm-hmm. until like probably sometime later when I think I moved to Canada at this point probably and there was like a community center somewhere in Vancouver and that was doing the musical and I go like okay this looks pretty interesting so I went to watch it it was amazing I obviously recognized the I Dream a Dream song and I kind of just go from there. I watched it once in Vancouver, like I told you about. And then mm-hmm. I went to London a couple years back, and I think in 2017, where I literally had to drag my, my roommate at a time. We were like, yeah, you're coming with me. We're going to watch this thing, and it's going to be great. And for <laughs> the context, the, the, the tickets wasn't cheap, and I was literally traveling on a budget. But I am willing to spend that money on the Lemis ticket because it was just so worth it. And I'm so glad my roommate ended up liking it too because imagine if I'm the only person who would like really enjoy it and she had a horrible time. But truth be told, I don't really think anyone can have a horrible time watching Lemis, but that's just me. So if you hate it, you can let me know. Or actually just don't let me know because I would rather not know. <laughs> so I can live with my in my own bubble thinking that this is the greatest musical of all time. So yeah, so that's sort of like how I came to know about the story, the book, and, and eventually the musical. But yeah, how about you? Um, So I have to say, it sounds like we had very similar trajectories in how mm-hmm. we learned about it. Do you remember how you first learned about the book? Like what propelled you to read the book? Oh, okay. So there was like a section in our school library. Mm-hmm. And it's like the pretty much like the foreign classic literature of everything yeah it is actually pretty cool so I read like all of them uh and Lemis was one of them 
Oh, nice. Wow. Look at you. My opinion of you skyrocketing now. <laughs> <laughs> I um, love to read. <laughs> Before so, though, not anymore. But anyway. Oh, not I mean, I still see you with the book quite often. And I feel like we we talk about it. Did you read the book that I loaned you, by the way? Yes, I did actually. Wow, what did you think? I did. Um, I have to say though, I feel like it's not like my cup tea. Like my cup of what tea did you, necessarily. What did I end up loaning you. I ended up loaning loaning you the house by the cerulean sea, right? Yeah. Okay. I was debating yeah. between giving you that and the song of Achilles, which I think would be much more up your alley. Oh, um, okay, okay. Because yeah. I do appreciate the reading, but it did have like a really long build up of like it did the person just visiting and doing all these like sort of investigation, and it sort of just. Well, I don't want to say goes nowhere, but like it was a long um, description. They, so yeah. That yeah, this specific <laughs> author is definitely known for his long descriptions and for her, like very heartwarming themes. Putting that aside, I also learned about Lemay's via books. So the reason why I asked you how you first came about grabbing the book is because I vividly remember. I don't know if you have the same experience. Did you have to do book reports when I was reading it? No, 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 no. When you were a kid, like in oh, school. like any any book report. Yeah. Yes, I did. Perfect. So we had to do. I would say maybe around four book reports per year. So two of them would be in Hebrew, and then two of them would be in English. And we had like we were rotating through to students in every class. So each student would kind of had to go twice. And for one of them, another girl in my class did her book report on the abridged version of Les Mis. And I would sometimes note down the book that they talked about if they piqued my interest. And this mm-hmm. one did. So I went ahead and got the unabridged version, like a dumbass, <laughs> from my local library. And it is a relatively old translation to Hebrew. I believe it was like from the 70s or something like that. Uh, it was a definitely, definitely a very difficult read, both language-wise, because it was older than the language, everyday language I was used to. And also because the subject material is very, very difficult. It was very, very interesting to me when you said you read it at 12, because I also read it at 12. My reading experience was very rough. I remember vividly everything that has to do with Fontaine. And uh, that's kind of still what stuck with me most to this day. It was the most harrowing experience of reading it. And I started crying massively around then and I just kept going through the entire book stubbing my way through it books that were very impactful to me I kept them on my bedside table so I kept this one at my bedside table like sometimes like cradling it to sleep until I had to return it to the library and after that I wanted to forget that I ever read it so (laughs) everything that doesn't include Fontaine and that really really traumatic experience of reading it I have little memory of And then Susan Boyle came, I believe it was in 2009 or 2008 or something like that. And it was Britain Got Talent. Was that one? Uh, He is British, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it's definitely British. Yeah. So that was a massive, massive sensational thing. And that's how I first became acquainted with Limits as a musical and that concept. Knowing how the book is I had no inclination whatsoever to watch it because I didn't want to reacquaint with all those horrible experiences of reading it so that is why it is very surprising actually that I have never I've never watched it fully I've listened to the cast recordings I've listened to the discography um maybe 
a couple of times before this episode before preparing for this episode but I never examined it more oops please stop ringing okay but I never um no okay we'll have to wait it out and this one is longer than three rings but what was I yes so so I guess that's my experience and funny thing is on reddit there was a thread just a couple of days ago that said they asked what is surprising that you haven't seen yet as a very dedicated like theater fan stuff like that and mm-hmm. I also answered this thread and my answer was Lemiz and now I can't answer that anymore because I watched it for this episode <laughs> um also I don't believe we mentioned it before very very important you will notice it sometimes whenever the second episode come out that this episode will come out in at least two parts part one and part two because we are cutting the story based on acts since it's a pretty substantial story, a momentous occasion as Claire's favorite musical. Please keep that in mind. This is only act one, so only part one of the podcast and part two will come out next week. I am not sure, and I think we're still debating whether to do any further parts regarding like future or other Les Mis related concepts such as the movie or even the BBC show stuff like that uh, let us know if you have any interest in that because that would probably sway our opinion one way or the other but currently in the works is just act one act two in uh, two parts mm-hmm. so yeah so with that out of the way should we dive into act one in depth yes all right We open at a prison war camp in the year 1815. The prisoners are toiling in horrible conditions when prisoner 24601, very famous number, also known as Jean Valjean, is released on parole. Jean Valjean's crime was stealing a loaf of bread to feed his dying nephew. Now that he's on parole, though, he needs to wear a yellow ticket to signify that he is a criminal or he committed crimes as part of his parole conditions. He and his officer, Javert, discuss some helpful expositions, such as Jean Valjean has been a prisoner for 19 years, for quite some time. And the reason why it's so long for stealing a loaf of bread is he only, only got five years for stealing that loaf of bread and then another 14 years because he attempted to run away. Now a free Jean Valjean returns to society where people are scared of him and turn him away at every opportunity possible. Finally, a bishop kindly takes pity on him and Valjean repays him by stealing money from him. When the police come after him, the bishop once again saves him, saying the money was a gift and he further gives him even more. He gives him um, two candlesticks made out of silver and he asks Jean Valjean to use it to become an honest man. Uh, Valjean is very touched by the bishop's kindness and it kind of leaves him as a changed man and he also rips his yellow ticket in the process which means that he violated his parole and will be sent back to jail if he were ever caught. Then we have a time skip to year 1823, eight years later. Valjean is a factory worker and a mayor of a town so he did quite well for himself. Times are hard for everybody else, and jobs are very difficult to come by. They're very scarce. At his factory, we're introduced to Fontaine, whom I already talked about. She is one of the workers. She is molested after by the factory foreman, and her refusal to sleep with him puts her job in jeopardy. 
The rest of the factory workers also don't like Fontaine and steal one of her letters. And in the letter, it is revealed that Fontaine has a daughter named Cosette and her father abandoned the both of them. Cosette lives with innkeepers. Please forgive me, French people. Once again, I'm begging for your patience. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, doing great. You're doing great. Thank you. I appreciate your moral support. But up until now, because I'm sure I'll butcher that. But uh, Monsieur and Madame Tenadier, they have an arrangement in which Fontaine sends money to them. So they'll continue raising her. And after those facts being brought to light, uh, that causes a fight to break in within the factory. And at the end of that fight, Fontaine is fired. So she sells her hair and her locket to settle the debt for Cosette and becomes a prostitute. And when she refuses a client, uh, said client hits her. And when she hits him in return, he reports her to the police. We are then reintroduced to Javert, who is working as a police officer. Fontaine begs him to let her go so she can take care of Cosette, but he refuses. Um, However, nicely enough, Jean Valjean passes by just coincidentally, and recognizes Fontaine as one of his ex-employees. He asks Javert to release her and takes her to the hospital. On the way, Valjean helps a man stuck underneath a fallen structure. I believe it was like a carriage or some sort, by lifting the structure up so the man could be rescued. And Javert notices his incredible strength and recognizes Valjean as potentially the prisoner who broke from his parole. But by huge coincidence, though, yet another one, another man has been mistakenly recognized as Valjean and is going to be brought to court and, quote unquote, to justice and rearrested. Jean Valjean cannot let another man take the fall for him in a clear conscience, despite it guaranteeing his freedom forever. And he reveals his identity as prisoner number 24601. At the hospital, Fontaine is dying. Valjean goes to visit her on her deathbed and promises to take care of Cosette and stays with Fontaine until she dies. Uh, when she does die, Javert goes to the hospital to arrest Valjean, who begs him to give him just three days to rescue Cosette, just three days, and after that he'll um, bring himself to justice. Javert, however, refuses, saying men like Jean Valjean can change, so Valjean fights him to escape and get to Cosette. We cut to Cosette. She is a young girl at this point, uh, scrubbing the floors. She's essentially enlisted into servitude by Madame Tenadier, but it's really pissing me off. But Fontaine works yeah. so hard and tirelessly to pay for the care of Cosette. And this is the condition that she's living under. And also the fact that they said, oh, you know, she's very sickly. She's very sick and raised the prices and trying to get more money from her. Disgusting to me. That was very, very traumatic to read and also to witness. Very hard. What we need to know about the innkeepers, so um, Monsieur and Madame Tenadier, right now, what we need to know is that they have a daughter, her name is Eponine, and that they are massive crooks. They steal from their customers shamelessly, and they also inflate their prices in a way that doesn't match the service that they provide, which is very, very lowly. Jean Valjean finds Cosette, however, and pays 1,500 francs, which is a lot of money, to become her guardian. Then we have another time skip to 1832, about nine years later, because that is now all grown up. We see that hard time once again fell upon the citizens of Paris. Eponine and uh, the Nadiers no longer own an inn, but instead run a gang. 
Eponine is in love with a young scholar named Marius who doesn't know about her feelings. He's very, very oblivious as a person. Marius and Cosette run into each other on the street by chance, and it's love at first sight. Monsieur Ternardier uh, recognizes Jean Valjean and Cosette, and his gang captures them. However, Javert goes up to free them, not recognizing Valjean initially. He soon wises up to his identity and vows to continue his chase to capture him. Marius begs Eponine to find Cosette for him, and Eponine, who is helplessly in love with Marius, goes to find her. Meanwhile, Marius goes to a cafe where we see Angel Russ, his friend, who, upon hearing about the death of a general, is planning a revolution to rally the people and fight against the government. Cosette also fell for Marius and appeals to Valjean to tell her more about her past. So she is kind of like in her teenager phase. She wants to know more and she wants to explore. Eponine brings Marius to Cosette and Marius confesses his love to her. They understand it's mutual and they have like a beautiful moment going on. She stands guard with her father along with uh, other gang members and they all arrive at Jean Valjean's place to rob him. Eponine screams to warn them and Jean Valjean, fearing that her scream was to warn him of Javert and not of the gang, once again runs away with Cosette. And this is when Marius has to make a decision whether to stay and fight for the revolution or to run away after Cosette and he decides to stay. And this is kind of the end of act one. It's a big number culminating a lot of people and stating where they are at the moment and what their hopes and dreams are for the future. I am so glad that we're doing this in two parts. Really? Because just act one alone, it's like almost 20 years time skip if you think about that. So a lot happening. Um, I mean, they do kind of get their fair time a fair share of time uh to talk about it like thoroughly but still it's a lot <laughs> yeah 100 percent. i wonder how we should tackle this because it's very very big it's scaring me off a little bit so i'm thinking what's the best way of attack that should maybe start by saying like what do you think about act one like i obviously you know my opinion on it like i loved it so i'm curious to see how did you perceive it like did you like it oh i mean i was fairly familiar with it so it didn't really have the same impact as if i were not familiar with it altogether i have to say that i was pleasantly surprised that it's less of a traumatic experience to view compared to reading but it was still very very difficult to go through all the Fontaine pieces all in all obviously the Miz is a very impressive piece of art the music is fantastic throughout the musical and um, the characters are very compelling It's just that even when I can recognize all this excellence and the way that it brought to life compared to the novel, it's still not necessarily my cup of tea (laughs) because it is still depressing. It is more tolerable to my sensibilities than I'd have thought. But I don't know if this is the kind of musical that I watch would watch again and again just because of the emotional toll it takes from you. Do you want to have like a favorite song out of each act or do you want to reserve everything towards the end and having like one all-time favorite song Hmm. that you would pick maybe let's do one for each act and maybe in next week's episode we can well since you're like picking so much we if we have to choose (laughs) if we have to choose one then we can choose between the two of them what do you think that sounds good to me uh what's your favorite then it's really hard, but I think I like One Day More. 
which is also the act one closer. It's a very messy song though. Yes. So which is, uh, I don't know, different than what I would normally choose. But it has a lot of the melodies that I do enjoy. And I feel like it's a, it's a really good summary of where everybody stands, what everybody believes. It kind of like is that good, what do you call it? Like, like it, it's a collective number that kind of sort of like makes you aware of like each person's dreams, thoughts, feelings, and what they have hoped for. Yeah. So that's what I like about him. Especially for an at one closer, I think it's very clear and very well placed. So yeah. I like it. I think. <laughs> have you seen the two, uh, the twenty fifth anniversary one? No, have, I like, haven't. A special. So at the end of the concert, they have the um tenth the cast from the tenth anniversary. So like the original cast, mm-hmm. they have them like brought back to the stage. So kind of like what they did with the Phantom um anniversary concert. Well, not mm-hmm. concert, the performance as well. And they all sing the song together. Like, it was such an amazing moment. I feel Aww. like if you enjoy musicals in general, if you enjoyed this musical in particular, that would be something to witness. Like, that would be something to watch for sure. Is it similar in a way then to the um, Phantom Anniversary, where they had performed in Phantom, come together and sing in unison? Exactly. They have the all the Jean Valjean to sing Bring Him Home together. Aww. And then they have like everyone um to sing One Day More together, which is really great. That's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. But for me, I do enjoy a lot of the songs in Act One in general. I like Who Am I as well, even though it's very short, but it's such a good melody. I love it so much. It's like yeah. it's it's one of the songs um that I would just play in the car and then I I just like shout 24601 <laughs> inside <laughs> of the car. Yeah, yeah. That used to be my password actually. Really? Yeah. Don't tell us. <laughs> hacking into a theater nerd's phone is the easiest thing on earth because it's almost always 24601 yeah. so you are really living up to the stereotype I know I know but I changed that long long ago so sorry no hacking but <laughs> at least I hope so so yeah maybe it's reverse me. psychology and you're making us think that this is not your password but it's still mm, your password mm, who would have known who knows <laughs> who knows but how about you do you have a favorite number yeah, it's one day more as well. It's a very, very well done number. It reminds me a lot of Nonstop from Hamilton, where all the different characters and different players come together to speak what they think or uh, speak their wishes and so on. And it really gives you a great idea of who they are as people and what's their goals. So it's a very, very good number. I also really enjoyed the work song, which is the opening song. I thought it was a very, very good introduction. It definitely grabs your attention very well and the conditions in which Jean Jean had to live through for 19 years are appalling and very very clear and it makes you feel for him a lot just in the beginning it also makes you feel for him that he still has a lot of spunk the way that he is arguing with Javert about his sentence and about who he is as a person and in general I really enjoyed all the prologue so there is one number And it's pretty much the same number, the same one number for the entirety of the musical that I cannot deal with. And I do skip it. And it's Lovely Ladies. I I knew it. it. I cannot (laughs) listen to it. It's too much for me. It's very, very well done because of that, because you can feel all the emotion. You can feel the scumminess and the sliminess of the Parisian streets 
and I cannot deal with it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. No, that's fine. I feel like that's understandable. Uh, I don't feel that strongly about the number, obviously, yeah. probably because I have a high, higher tolerance of just dark negative stuff (laughs) compared to what happened in the book I feel like what they did here is already very minimum so I'm like okay all right you know what it's not like you go but it's like okay I can live with that so it's not as traumatizing for me for sure if anything actually so I watched it with my boyfriend well more like I play on tv and he was forced to listen to it (laughs) with me when he was doing something else on his computer anyways so the next day he woke up and he like literally was start singing lovely ladies and I'm like what the fuck that's it's like, a catchy song it's a catchy I know song. it is a catchy <laughs> song and he's like I don't want like it's nothing that has to do with the messages I just pick up the song and just stuck in my head and I'm like yeah you know what it's 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 a very catchy song so I'll mm-hmm. give you a credit I'll, le- I'll let you go that and master so, of the yeah. house are the two catchiest yeah um, yeah yeah but obviously the big ticket number is I dreamed a dream here um, do you hear the people sing also another really big one? It's yeah, for sure. Do you hear a big and also one day more? I'd argue is also very, very big, but the biggest, the one that launched it all, I, I guess, for the both of us musical-wise, is I Dreamed a Dream. Also, it's the one that won the Oscar, right? Like Anne Hathaway I won it because so. of I Dreamed a Dream. Really? Did she? Yeah, I think oh. so. If okay. I remember correctly, correct us if I'm wrong, but according to my memory, that is that is the reason or one of the main pushes for her getting her Oscar. Huh. Um, but yes. So for me, obviously I heard it when Susan Boyle performed it. And then we also performed it in my choir. I definitely had my fair share of just going through the song over and over and over again. So hearing it another rendition, it didn't have the quite same impact that other songs here had just because I heard it so often and was exposed to it so much. Does it still have the lingering magic as hearing it the first time for you? I think just by purely listening to it, probably not. But I always, always feel very emotional when I watched it. So mm. I, I, like I mentioned, I watched a couple of times, right? So whenever like the song shows up, it, it's not going to be like, oh my God, it's this again, that kind of let it go kind of vibe. But it's more like I can really feel the emotion of the, the performer. And I think I appreciate the performance as a whole versus just, listen to the song on my Spotify for example yeah that is definitely yeah. fair uh any other song during act one that you really want to give roses to that you really want to discuss hmm I really like the song um or it, rather the melody when Fontaine dies actually <laughs> you no know, it's such a it's, it's really emotional and then it keeps on like reappearing too yeah so I like that. I always like almost cry in that scene when she dies. Aww. I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, another song that I'm kind of lukewarm about, I guess, is Castle on the Cloud. It could be because it's sang by a child and unless it's done really, really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. That's fair. Honestly, if anything, I actually didn't really like the song all too much. Mm-hmm. I don't like the fact that it's sing by a child. Yeah. Um, I think other than Matilda, usually I'm not a big fan of just kids stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and plus, I think a kid's voice is has a very it, it stands out quite weirdly 
and especially in limits. So I didn't really enjoy that. It has nothing to do with the ability, the vocal ability of the whoever is singing it, though. But I don't really find that appealing to me personally. I mean, I think it depends. So in Kazat, Young Kazat's case, it wasn't super appealing, but Another Child, which is Gavroche, um, it wasn't an issue for me. I actually quite liked when he chimed in and when he had his uh, portion of the numbers because it's very charming and his performance is very charming. There is quite a cute boyhood to his voice and mannerism and it worked out really well with the character in a way that wasn't grating. And I think it's because he didn't have a big quote-unquote solo and he just Mm -hmm. gave his voice in certain periods of other numbers. So it was more complimentary rather than the show-stopping number itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay that's fair did you have any reaction or a similar reaction to Gavroche as young Cousat or was he more tall? I find him okay probably because he didn't sing the whole thing by himself yeah so if he just had like a couple of lines I can I can live with that mm-hmm. <laughs> uh yeah yeah I don't know maybe it's because also cl- uh, Castle on the Cloud sounds a little bit creepy almost yeah and and I didn't like that but usually what's his name again I feel like we're gonna butcher it too Um, which one the kid oh Gavroche yes I'm not gonna even try but anyways (laughs) when he has his lines it's not like the airy iffy um sort of like creepy vibe it's Mm. rather very like you know like it's the real stuff and they're talking about battles fights revolution that kind of gives me newsies vibe yeah 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 absolutely yeah for sure how about the characters themselves so except for that particular story I didn't find myself very attached from the musical version to any of the characters which I am sure is very different from you for you I appreciated their story but I didn't have much of an attachment to them just because I think I've seen less of their internal battles with the exception of Eponine. She had the most internal battle um, explored on stage so far. And I did appreciate her character, I guess, more compared to others. What is your attachment like to the different characters? Wait, so you're saying that you're... Wait, except for Jean Valjean? Sorry? No, except for Eponine. So not even Jean Valjean? So I do see his struggle. I appreciate his struggle. I think it's interestingly explored, but I'm not attached to him. Oh, okay. Okay. I think I'm very attached to Jean Valjean, to be Mm -hmm. honest. Um, Probably because the fact that we, in the beginning, like you literally saw him becoming a different man Mm -hmm. and where he has come from and things like that. So I do feel like out of all the storyline, I care about him the most um, I also care about Cosette in the way that because that he is, uh, sorry, she is the daughter of, of Jean Valjean and not so much because of who she is. Mm. Um, Cosette is a character that I feel like is very, it makes me really hard to like her for yeah. who she is because you don't really see much of who she is. I agree. I can't really get attached to the romance. And I feel like that is the least, like that is the one story that I really didn't see it fitting here mm-hmm. so even like marius i feel like his friendship and especially in act two i guess um and and then companionship like the the battle the revolution the dreams that they're trying to like go through the the hope that they are fighting for i feel like it's 
it's um very moving in a sense but for, with Cosette it's mostly just the romantic stuff and yeah. I'm like man girl like there is like so much else that is happening and all you care about is like this dude that you don't even know the name <laughs> of that is like so unrealistic so yeah that's that's me you with see Cosette. I agree with that but it's the yeah. same for Eponine like we don't see her apart from her romance with uh well her unrequited romance with Marius and yet I like her a lot more and I think it's because she seems a lot more downtrodden in this case you hear a lot about, more about her internal struggle and also about her unrequited feelings so because of that it's easier for me to understand where she's coming from and appreciate that I, I no, don't that's think for sure yeah that's oh, for yeah. sure because she gets a solo because that isn't uh, she has like some I think it blends into others but she has like very big portion of numbers that she's the only one featured I forgot the name of the song but it's the one where it becomes a trio with Marius and Eponine she has like a scene where she has kind of like a solo within the number but mm-hmm. um Apart from her and Fontaine, I don't really have, I don't really have hard stakes in their battle, which could be because I'm only seeing it visualized in Act 1 and Act 2. I know all of them die, spoiler alert, so maybe that will steer more of an emotional reaction and an attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, but currently in Act 1, I'm not invested in their well-being as much or I'm not as attached to them. I'm invested in the story itself. I think the story is interesting. I think the themes are exploring are also very interesting. And um, the progression in which their character develops is very well done too. But I don't care for them, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. No, I and hear what you're saying. I feel like that is um probably reasonable because to be fair Lemis doesn't have like this one very central clear main character where everything is kind of like happening around him you know like I mean, it's, it's not, I mean no the revolution didn't happen around him he was like more of like caught up by because like he had no other choice to yeah. rather than that he was willingly like participating like, he wouldn't have participated if it was not for Cosette I don't yeah think. exactly that's yeah true. so I don't think it's the but same we do thing. follow him I guess he's the closest thing that we do have to, to a protagonist yeah he is yeah, yeah. um I, I guess that's why I care about him the most like there is a lot of other story plots where like yeah. characters that are sort of like side characters but not really or like their main you want to think that they're main characters, but they're not really. So I get what you mean. Um, yeah, I am going just to acknowledge that I'm definitely biased and I feel like I like it a lot more be- so that I don't really care about all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I feel like they already did a really good job of like simplifying what happened in the book. Yeah. yeah it is did. a very long book. So to do that, they have to like kind of give and take and there's like respect I guess reasonable portion of being left out and and maybe that's why you don't care about them as much because yeah. a lot of them just doesn't get to show here um but yeah but yeah I do recall caring a lot more while reading the book mm-hmm. yet again I mean I was 12 so it could be just like being an emotional teenager or something like that but if I 
if I were to have a criticism of the show, I think that would be one of the criticisms. But with such a dense book and uh, the fact that they're already breaching the two and a half hour running time, they don't really have much of a choice but to simplify things more. That would probably be my biggest gripe with the adaptation so far from a non-personal, like, oh, you know, this is just my taste standard. Now, bringing up Jean Valjean, of course, uh, we have to bring up Javert, who is the central antagonist. In my opinion, the central antagonist should be the innkeepers, but uh, Javert is definitely considered as the central one. What are your thoughts around him? I do like him. I feel like you get to see how he's really like the other version of Jean Valjean, if you will. Yeah. He's, yeah, like... A lot of things that's about him, it's understandable. I used to really hate him because I'm like, oh man, you have like so many prisoners. Why are you so fixed on this one? Just let him <laughs> be, man. But <laughs> but it makes sense, you know, it makes sense. And I feel like I like obviously when he has that redeeming um, moment in act two that's when people like really probably would change their mind about him Mm -hmm. but even just in act one the fact that he is so determined on this one thing like this is probably 10 over 10 years 10 18 almost 20 years probably by this point and he's still thinking about 24601 what does that say about him it's an obsession (laughs) for sure yeah and you go, you get to like also um have this like very thin slice of his past of like how he said he was born and raised among um, bad people like mm-hmm. Jean Valjean, so that's why he knows that people like them would never change. And I'm like, man, that's like a very interesting piece of information that I wish that we get to see a little bit more of, because I feel like that would provide a more um a stronger foundation and a more interesting backstory to why he has become this determined version of Javert that we see. So I find that there is a lot of things when you like scratch the surface and you want to dig a little bit deeper into his character, or you can just obviously see him just like purely bad people who just wouldn't let Jean Valjean go. Mm -hmm. Um, So either way, or depending on how deep you want to read into about him, I feel like there is information to dig, which I love. I love. I love that um, about anything in a story sense, you know, like when there is something more to the surface mm-hmm. when you choose to dig deeper and there's stuff to be discovered that means that it's a pretty well-written character so I do like him from that perspective it is really interesting and there is a lot to dig into with the characters the settings themselves are very very interesting how about the rest of the characters so Jean Valjean is the one you are attached to the most you said is there mm-hmm. a character that you are also very, very much attached to. So at least from what I've seen from just like gifts of the movie, I guess, which obviously is not representative. People are very invested in a character we only saw a little bit of in the first act and we'll see a lot more in the second, which is Angel Ross. I don't know if you have any opinions of him, but I feel like these are kind of like the big three people, the big three characters that people tend to care about, at least based on gifts alone. I'm operating based on nothing else. Honestly, I only started caring about him when I learned that he was played by Ramin oh, in yeah. like the 25th <laughs> anniversary. And I'm like, hey, yo, I want to like, 
I can't wait to see him come up. But other than that, I don't really have too strong of an opinion of him. He's just kind of there for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. If, like, there are, like, people who are, like, crazy fan of his, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, his storyline is definitely not the one that I'm invested in the most. Um, I do understand, like, he resembled a whole lot of the whole French evolution and that sort of thing um, behind him. So... He is important in that sense, I guess. But aside from the revolution stuff, like I don't really feel like we get to know him on the personal level. Mm-hmm. So we get to see that he has a lot of ideas and he has a lot of um, hopes in what his vision of the future should be, which is great and is very motivating and is very inspirational considering the time that they live in. But outside of that context, we don't really know about his past, his family, like all that stuff that will make us invested in him as a character. So that is as far as I am um, to care about him or anything that he does, really. So, yeah, yeah, that's probably, yeah, mm-hmm, <laughs> the only sure. thing I ha- I have to say about him. But how about you? I don't have an opinion of him based on Act 1. Okay. <laughs> he, he features very, Good. very little in it. Apart from um, him, I think the only one we haven't covered were the two villains, which is Monsieur and... The well, they are the real villains. Let's put everything straight. It's very clear. The innkeepers. We'll go the, with the innkeepers. Yes. Okay, the innkeepers. Yes. They definitely toned down their, their characters a lot to make them more comedic. And again, operating based on gifts alone and the fact that they're play, played in the movie by Sasha Baron Cohen and uh, Helena Bonham Carter, they are made even more comedically in the movie itself so if we ever review that that'll be interesting point of comparison but they're literally conjure negative emotions they do not pass the vibe check but and I care more about them as villains in their villainous ways than Javert because they're much more one-dimensional and much more obviously bad there's not really way to read into them I think there's been a lot of work made about limits so I'm sure I could be proven wrong but I think it's more of a difficult challenge to read into them a humanistic angle compared to Javert I personally don't hate them really that much. I like I mean obviously they're bad characters they're bad people but oh, sorry actually they're good characters but bad people yes that's what I mean and the reason why I don't hate them to the point of be like oh they're the villain is more like they're very um realistic if you will like obviously you have the very innocent naive good people like marius um and Ram. i'm just gonna call him ramen because why not <laughs> and and people who are like fighting for the better future and stuff but there are also people who are just literally trying to yeah make the best out of what they have and mm, i can see i wouldn't put it that way <laughs> Sure, but I can see, I can see it happening. It's very real. Like people are just like that. Whether no, that's or true. Not you, yeah, whether or not you want to admit it. So I'm okay with having characters like this because I feel like it kind of keep us in check. You know, to say that this is not all just a, a fictionalized uh, version of the history. This is not just like um, a story that was made up and it has no relevance to the world that we live in whatever so they're obviously going to be people like this but I mean yeah like what they did is horrible but it's not like they commit murder or anything so 
no, no. But I mean, yeah. they don't have to commit the most heinous acts to be horrible. They can be horrible in a very. I agree, they're horrible. No, I'm no, just saying it's... that it's like the realistic sense, uh, the realistic type of horrible. No, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I agree with you 100. Okay, <laughs> but everything in Le Mis, at least based on what I see, is very hyper realistic. I don't think, except maybe Javert, that there is a character that's not very, very realistic or one that I wouldn't be able to see in everyday walk of life. So I do applaud him for making it realistic and putting very extreme form of wrongdoing along with very ordinary, low level of horrible acts. They are still clearly the villains based on their attitudes and their behavior. Even if it's the acts they're committing are not as criminally persecutable, I don't know. But for me, they do definitely, based on their attitudes and behaviors, ring as the true villains of the situation. Because along the story, we see people who are capable of extreme acts of kindness, like the bishop or like Jean Valjean. And we see people who are incre- who are able to commit very horrible acts like what they do which is extorting money from a single mother who is working very hard to provide for her daughter and because she's a single mother in such a time as the 19th century she doesn't have a lot of means to support anybody herself let alone her daughter so extorting somebody you know is so vulnerable is something that happens every day but is also horrible and the fact that there is no other way for them to not know that they're not taking advantage of a very downtrodden person makes them villainous in my mind but also just taking advantage of their customers and by stealing from them point blank stealing from them but also like extorting prices and making it very very um unhabitable inhabitable as a place for them so there are ever there are multiple ways in which they know that they're trying to scam people who are less fortunate than them which is why i think of them as villains anything else i feel like do you have a lot more to say as this is your favorite or just like oh you know i'm really attached to this musical as a vibe <laughs> and not very like explicit reason um well, I was going to save this for my final thought, though. Oh, okay, so, okay. Then we'll okay. touch on that in episode two. You guys should be okay. ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think this is it, then, for episode one in terms Ooh, of our episode. thoughts. It was a very mm. short episode, and I think it's better to have it this way just because the stories take such different turns. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm glad, I'm glad that, you, uh, that you suggested it. But... Should we do a quiz since this is not the end of the musical or should we not? That's... I mean, we can do two quizzes we'll do if two that's quizzes. where you were. <laughs> Ooh, so I guess we can compare and contrast who we get. Why not? Yeah. Okay, let's see. This one that I found, I was prepared for either way. <laughs> this one that I found is from Playbill. Let's take a look. All right. So even though we haven't covered the entire thing but that just started with this one because why not let's get yeah. it out of the way so which Lemis character are you from Paybill? okay I think we've been introduced to pretty much all the characters almost so we should be I okay. think so yeah so we should be okay hopefully your country is in the middle of a revolution <laughs> where do you stand 
<laughs> the state must be protected where whatever is best for the people against the people in power when will injustice stop i will do what is right this will bring about the hope we need let's steal some stuff i wonder what's the last sure. one yeah <laughs> i was gonna say so so obvious eh yeah uh, <laughs> whatever is best for people me too what is your favorite music i love to rock I like protest songs. Adult <laughs> contemporary is cool. Taylor Swift and only Taylor Swift. Give me indie rock. Rap you fool. Love songs and sad ballads. I don't know. Rock? I don't like any of these. Man. Oh, I guess I'll go with Taylor Swift, but I don't necessarily okay. like her very much. 1989 is a good album, though. What is your tragic flaw? I steal everything. I get sick a lot. A rule is a rule. I care about people too much. My criminal record. I'm a hopeless romantic. I can be a little obsessive. Mm, I can be a little obsessive. I care about people too much. How do you decide which Netflix movie to watch? I just pick the first thing I see. I go straight to the rom-coms. Whatever has the most explosions. Foreign films. Watching TV is a waste of time. Period pieces are my jam. Documentaries are my favorite. I want to learn everything. I have a feeling I know which one is for you, considering what you said last episode. Really? Didn't you say that you're on a documentary? Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, but that's recently, though. Oh. Like recently, as like these past couple months, um, I feel like I have a different faces every once in a while. You know? That's interesting. Yeah. But how about you? Oh, did you pick? Is yeah? Was my pick correct? Yes. Oh, yeah. Like yeah the documentary. Yeah. Yes. I'll go with period pieces. I really like. A period piece especially Jane Austen one um what do you value most romance hope the community loot cool thing stability status <sighs> I don't know community I guess hope what'd you get I got Jean Valjean Ooh! yay so it says you're a defender of the undefended. You put others' needs before your own. Your ha- your happiness comes from knowing that others are happy. That's yeah. so generic, but okay. Like, yeah, mine is you? very generic as well. Generic. Jean Valjean <laughs> generic. Um, mine is Eponine. You're Eponine. Nice. You're courageous and your spirits are high. You know how to take care of yourself and get things done. Oh, that's it? Okay, that's very short and sweet. As we said, generic yeah um so i guess that is it for the quiz and obviously because we're not done with the musical there is no final ranking for anything and please come back please come back though for act two (laughs) act two is important act two has great songs so yeah if you want to come back to act two please 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 do so if you want to discuss act one with us as it's already coming out by the time that you're hearing it obviously anything that we've talked about previously as well or you want to give us recommendations or not just act two of Lemiz, we'd love to hear it you can do all that and more through social media at follow podcast on instagram twitter and reddit if you're not a social media person, neither are we. You can reach us via email at podwaypodcast at gmail.com. So if you also have it in your big ginormous heart to, you know, give us a cheeky little five-star rating or write us a review, uh, Spotify or wherever it is you're listening to us through, that'll be really, really helpful to us because it helps boost us up through the algorithm and people will find us, uh, find out about us and 
community will grow as a result. So if it can give us either a review or a rating, please do that. We'd really appreciate it. And apart from that, thank you so much for listening. And bye. Bye.